some people are going to get on us for being utilitarian about this, right? We're saying, well, what is the utility of God, right? And people are going to be like, you're missing the point if you're asking the how, right? It is to just blindly accept. That is the point of God. And then you're like, okay, well, then what's the point of, of being alive? Welcome back to the best podcast you know, brought to you every week, the Certain Uncertainty Podcast, episode seven. We have some fascinating conversations and ideas to bring to you this week. And to start us off with some introductions, giving it over to you, John. What's going on, Joe? Yeah, so let's just jump into these questions right away so people know exactly what we're gonna be talking about. Today's central theme, I would say, is the nature of God and uh, existential thoughts and feelings and so forth. But here are the questions that we're going to be answering today and addressing at least at some level. Um, And of course, keep in mind, we're quite uncertain about these things. So before you get your panties in a bundle about us saying there is or isn't a God, well, just keep in mind, we are uncertain and is more to unveil some level of objective understanding, albeit it will be subjective. But here's the questions. What is the nature of God? Is God the central agent of fear? or love, or just pure randomness? Is religion a necessity to understand consciousness? What does it mean to be enlightened? And then what are the differences between monotheism versus polytheism? And how did that rationality really begin? So let's just start us off with the first one. What is the nature of God? And I'll hand it over to you, Joe, and you can kind of bring out some of your opinions on this and uh, we can go from there. Definitely. I think there's a few different approaches that a lot of people can begin to lay a cornerstone to talk about the nature of religion and God in an individualistic perspective versus our community, because I think those are the two big schools that participate in the sharing and communication of religion. And I think I want to start with the individualistic perspective in looking at how one person who is exposed to or has a perceived feeling of the divine. And I think that's the core fundamental that is shared between many religions because of all the differences and similarities that overlap between the different schools of, of, of studying and and religious texts and how we interpret those into philosophical parables and stories. What is the nature of the divine in the way we understand it? Right. So it depends, I think, at a very basic level, whether or not we're trying to seek some kind of physical understanding, whether or not we can touch, we can feel it directly with our own five senses, or whether or not this concept of divinity exists in some abstract domain of thinking that is not supposed to be sensed, but more or less supposed to be understood, whatever that means. And I think we're going to slowly come to unravel it. And I think from a physical level, maybe we can create some kind of theory that, well, there are constant levels of uncertainty that are circulating through matter, just at a general level, right? And oftentimes things behave idiosyncratic and you have to understand that, okay, maybe there's some level of probability distribution associated with why something did this or why something did that. And if you start at that level, I think you can come to some level of understanding that there is a force of control, whether or not the probability distribution accommodates for it as a predictive element is besides the point. The whole point here is to show that there is some element that we label as probabilistic uncertainty that causes matter to react in certain ways, causes you to think and feel in specific ways. And when we don't really understand 
you know, how those randomness are distributed over time, well, we say that's some kind of divine element, right? If you look at there, that uncertainty, that inability to come up with some type of prediction system that is going to be concise and, you know, sustainable over a long period of time, regardless of the conditions in the world, you know, that's one way of understanding God, I think, from a very physical level, from from a scientific level, you know, maybe people will have arguments there, but I think just from the physical, you know, what can I touch? It is this matter that is behaving in ways that are really un unpredictable. And you can scale it up from the astronomical perspective, come down to our our spectrum of, of matter and then go all the way down to microscopic. And so all the different layers of what is called the umwelt, we're witnessing this behavioral uncertainty. Behavioral uncertainty at this level, you could label as God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's a really, a really good point to build off of, especially when you were talking about how we use this feeling of the divine incorporated into our intrinsic belief systems as a, as a way for us to explain or create a set of rational explanations or maybe irrational explanations for things that we cannot understand its certainty for. And this has a few different approaches for how people embrace the nature of God or a gods in the divine and the uncertainty or incapable explanations that can precede a series of events in life or risks and how we approach the embracing feeling of wanting to accept a God into your life or a God. And I think how a lot of people have interpreted this feeling of a divine presence that can protect, look out for, and have your best interests, interests in mind greater than you yourself. And you have as much control as you are, are capable of achieving of your own life. But then there will always be the or a higher echelon of the plan or the control, which I think does alleviate some people's uncertainty with their lives. They can put their faith in things that are just beyond their perceived reach. And I think that is how the aspect of the divine starts to come into people's lives, but really trying to understand not from the metaphysical perspective, but truly from the physical perspective, what does it mean for a conscious being to believe in a deity. How are our brains or our minds capable of creating such a belief system that it can physically impact your, your motivations, your drive, your comfort? Is it, is it the warm blanket or the perceived feeling of having protection in your endeavors? And that while you are forthright and approaching a goal that you are working on diligently, there is a, a larger being that is looking out for you and, and supporting your best interests greater than all other physical realms. Is there a you in that process though? Because to assume that there is a relationship between an individual and God is to assume that God can have a direct causal relationship with an individual as opposed to altering the environmental constraints and then that having a causal relationship on the individual. Does the concept of God, at least from a individual understanding, try to supersede the causality there and try to bring in that very, very, I guess, top-down control directly so that you can actually mitigate risk in your life as opposed to looking at all the different things in your life that are changing and then trying to relate risk to that. And that's much more challenging, right? So, so, so maybe it's, 
maybe it's in trying to create a relationship with this God figure, you're trying to proxy your understandings of risk because you will never be able to risk assess the most optimally way, right? True. That's true. And I, I have wondered how how long religion has grown and developed in history and through modern society and cultures and the existence and intermingling of many different cultures and religions that have true, true deep fundamentals in the development of entire cultures and societies. And you can look at some of these mixing pots throughout the world and, and their, their feuds that continue to span generations of original claim of this land and who lives there, like in, in Jerusalem and in Israel and all of that, that area where you have three or more major religions all focused in one area. And that is a core, core part of their culture and their lives. And then as you travel around the world, you have drastically different interpretations, but also beliefs and practices and how religion has cultivated a series of, of actions and in communications and communities with that group. And as they go through different series of struggles and uncertainties in their development, I think they've chosen or needed to, or been fed into this developmental pathway with this framework or, or carpet or mm -hmm. foundation of a religion to, to pave the way in a sense to exist in this uncertainty. So, so let me jump on that. So with this conglomerate of differentiated religion with probably their own understandings of God, right? So existing outside of the definition that we tried to provide in, in the beginning of this podcast, is it that the, the true differentiation between these religions lies in what they're excluding from their definition of God? As in, God doesn't control A, it controls B through Z, but just not A, right? That's religion one. Or maybe religion two is, okay, it'll control B through, you know, D with some, you know, you know random things, but the, the same set of items are still analyzed. And then there's some kind of exclusion when you're looking between the different religions. And maybe we can, you know, try to jump on some religions where we see that. And I think that's, that's really challenging because for each individual, different individuals are going to have understandings as to what power their idea of God has on the entities that surround them as well. So it's, it's really tough, I guess, to, to find a, a stereotypical understanding of a religion from this lens. Definitely. And I think what comes to my mind is not so much the categories that exist between different religious practices, but more of the spectrum of religion as a whole, where on one end, I'd say further down the spectrum, you have practices like Buddhism that do not have a central deity. And I think they operate more on fundamental lifestyle principles and how they treat one another and how they interact in a community and ways that are generally understood to improve your quality of life. And I think this is a very important aspect to touch on within religions that many of them do share in different ways because at the core or maybe not the core, maybe at the surface, I think a lot of the religious scriptures and texts are stories on top of hidden messages and beliefs and philosophies that are, are aimed at helping to guide the construction of a civilization and communities. Because without any sort of framework, we, we developed in barbaric eras where we were really just battling for land, battling for resources, battling for successful cultures, and the implementation or existence of a 
philosophical set of principles that does not award or get rewarded from barbaric battling, from the individual level of living your life in the best possible way so that you enter eternal happiness versus hell, or in a, in a communal kind of way, as a society, we can collect on this fundamental belief system that we have as complete strangers as a, as a piece of familiarity and develop communities from this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let, let me, let me take a step back there and, and I'm, I'm with you, right? There religion is quite helpful in building some foundations for a civilization. It has some level of paranoia that is extracted from it because you have some certainty that when I'm talking to my close community or close knit group, we can be like, oh yeah, here is the central branch for which causality and matter and processes then occur. With that being said, is there some kind of commonality between religious sectors as in using maybe this is this is too anthropomorphizing in terms of our how we use feelings to understand god because that in itself is subjective right but what i'm getting at here is how how has religion sometimes construed these concepts of god to basically embrace concepts of love as well or concepts of fear or you know and this is a question we raised or just pure randomness, right? And, and the randomness element, I don't think is very much so used by a society because it doesn't really allow any common sense to be generated from the randomness itself. You're just going to get a very decentralized system of belief. And that's not necessarily going to be helpful in, you know, saying, let's stop killing each other right? Because why? It's like, you have resources that I want, right? What's, what's in it for me? And then the promise of, of some religions is like, okay, well, we're going to have to spend eternity together because once we're dead, we're going to be in some similar place of, of mind or body or spirit, whatever you want to describe it as. And so let's, let's come up with some ways to actually coexist. And I think maybe this is, I think, the promise of earlier religions. And at some level, it's become monopolized and capitalized with, with different wealth distributions and people using it as a means to make money out of the generation of common sense in structures. And that's, that's a whole other ballgame in it. But the central idea is how has these religions been used as a means to isolate a specific set of emotions. In this case, a lot of times God comes with the connotation of love. God is love, right? God is caring. God will help you and yada, yada, yada. And then you get so far down the train and you're like, well, if God is truly love, why is it that God made my mom get cancer or something like that? Exactly. Right. Yeah, or there's... why is it that my sister just died in a car crash? Right. What the hell, God? Yeah. I thought you were love, right? And this is, I think, the biggest problem with trying to connotate God with some feeling of subjectivity. You see what I'm saying there? Exactly. And I think this is a topic that we've we've tried to touch on in the past is when when you look at the events of life and when people, which is quite common and and all the support to them go through a series of challenges and hardships and burdens and success in their lives. They, they credit God and they say with the love of God and the, the divine faith that they have in the, the deity that they, they praise, they were able to accomplish these feats. And I've always been very curious about that because in, in other contexts, there is, 
all the hardships that are that are really difficult to process and understand that people go through when when little kids pass away, when when children get types of cancer and terminal illnesses, it is very difficult. And I think many people probably do go through a period of feeling so abandoned and and how unfair that feels that they they question God as a whole. And I think that comes from this imbalance we have where we put our lack of certainty in the hands of a God or in the power of a God. And then when true uncertainty impacts your life in such a tremendous way, it makes you question the the faith that you put in this certainty that was supposed to help and protect you from, from feeling this pain and this loss. And there's also stories in the religion as itself, do not question thy Lord and do not question the God. And I'm, I'm sure that comes from many different instances of, of this kind of boomerang event happening where, where you aren't expecting these horrible things to happen. You've lived a, an upstanding life. You've been a generally good communal person. You, you're generous and, and hardships still happen. And that is the pure randomness. And also, I think one of the, the fundamental topics that we're looking to address is what is this relationship that people on any scale have developed with a God or a religion that they find the uncertainties or certainties in their life and either credit themselves, credit their, the higher powers, and then how they choose to embrace those. Because I've certainly met people over living all over the country who have true, true, deep faith in their religion and in the Lord. And respectfully, they, they take this to a very personal aspect of their personality. And I have nothing wrong with that. All the power to them and all the support in their happiness and their decisions. And then there are some people who really struggle with this concept of the metaphysical and how can you logically put faith in something that is truly uncertain and people may may disagree with that that point but opening that up for the topic of conversation is how can we rely or assume the existence of something mm-hmm. that is purely kept alive through the stories and the communities and this divine faith that you must embody to continue the story Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where I'm going now is, yes, the idea of God can be helpful for some individuals, right? But it can also be very unhelpful, right? So you have this process where you take on a ideologue of God and you incorporate that into your person, your you, right? Maybe in, in our last episode, we touched on the masks we wear. It helps shape the mask that we wear and our persona that it is then outwardly uh, extended to, to the community around us. But my question is, if you are an extraordinarily unlucky person, is it good to, to believe in God or is it better to not acknowledge God's existence and to then be proactive and reactive to each one of these situations? And maybe maybe the concept of God isn't necessarily to be non-reactive to these things. It's really just to have some kind of intrinsic support system so that when you go home, you know, you have something to talk to, right? But what I'm getting at here is the, some promises of God, and I won't, I won't, there's, there's different religions, there's different ways of, of conceiving what God's role is in, in an individual's life, depending on what religion you go to. But it's just tough, right? I'm, I'm really just trying to answer the question, is God helpful for an extraordinarily unlucky individual? And, and, and the reason I'm, I'm saying this, because whenever these unfortunate circumstances come about, sometimes you just say, well, God's going to look after me. God's going to help me. 
right? Well, how long are you going to keep that promise to yourself? Are you going to let everything good in your life be taken away because you weren't reactive to some situational events because you were waiting on God to step in, right? That certainly can't be a helpful attribute of the mind. And it certainly can't be something that is positively encouraged over an individual's life. So where, where, where do we really use God as, as a benefit item to, to consider, right? Where, where do we actually say, okay, it's good to think about God, right? Here's why, right? And maybe it's, maybe it's that it helps us understand our own capacity of belief, our own capacity to have some kind of consciousness that exists in this metaphysical domain. Maybe that's one perspective that we can jump on, right? Maybe it's it's impossible to say whether or not something's truly going to be helpful. You have to try out the tool. In this case, God is the tool of an, of an idea, a promise to, to help you mitigate your, your paranoia or anxiety or something. And, and so let's ask this question, right? Is God a necessity to really understand yourself and your own conscious mechanism. Is that helpful? Is it helpful at that lens? And I think that that's where my mind starts to go off on this full idea of, of what you said, where answering the question of is a God helpful makes me break it down into the spiritual aspect of it, where there's people who refer to themselves as spiritual, but not religious. And then the delineation between loving or embracing a God versus the religion as a whole, because I think those are actually separate where the stories and lessons that you can learn from say the different religious texts can be very, very helpful and beneficial as you look to reflect upon your life in the hidden stories within these. There are deep analyses on these, which are, are fascinating just as, as different types of philosophies. But when I think about a religion or even embracing a God, it makes me try and understand the necessity of it. And while going through the necessity that that fundamental question is, is religion the mind's answer to trying to understand itself, I think is what's most interesting to me. And the reason I ask that is because when we consider our consciousness as a species and as an individual versus the other existing living creatures of the earth that do not have consciousness, but share so much similar DNA to us, is this the mind's way of answering the question of its own existence? It is so out of the scope of the own, of its own creative box that we are in, that it must create a metaphysical answer outside of the realm of reality that we embrace to our, our personality and our evolution as a way to communicate and partner with another conscious being on this, on this terminology? Do we have to have a metaphysical connection in order to embrace our own consciousness? And I don't want to go too far into the rabbit hole of talking about where consciousness stems from, because that's an entirely different conversation. But in the context of the necessity of religion, we can certainly ask ourselves, why is it still present today? Why does it still exist in this culture after so many thousands of years of ebbs and flows of wars and turmoil and continuing struggles today of religion, which it makes me sad from an exterior perspective, looking into entire cultures that still feud over their thousand year old religions. And what is the necessity still? We have either embraced this necessity or it's just been continually integrated into our, our structures as the mind's way of, of why it exists. Can the mind itself answer this, 
paradox of a question. Why does it itself exist? Did it create itself or is there someone else that created the consciousness that has given you a mind? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not even gonna try to answer those questions. Those are very, very challenging questions. I'm gonna actually take a step back here and just look at a couple of words. And there's a reason I can't answer these questions that you just proposed is because you use the word why, right? To ask why is the most challenging possible thing as a human that we can conceive of. To ask why is to go down the rabbit hole to then lead you to some point where you're saying, I don't know. Then you use God and overlay why. So in the mind of of a believer in God, I would be very curious to see how often they're asking why. People that are extraordinarily doubtful or struggling with their religious construct, I would also then ask, how many times do you ask why? And, and, it, and it could also be that the individuals that ask why a lot of times use God too, because they're tired of asking why. They're so mentally fatigued from not being able to come to the right answer. And so they're like, God damn it, literally, right? what is it? Like, God, help me out because I'm going to keep asking why. We have a capacity as humans to ask why, to entertain the rabbit hole of exploration. So should we ask why? Is a why question helpful from an ontological perspective? No, no, I don't think so. And I think that's where this acceptance kind of comes into into play, this hand-in-hand progression of you don't ask why you accept your faith and the answers that you don't know, or at least the solutions that you're, you're looking for that are outside the realm or the scope of your perception or grasp. You don't ask why you accept in your faith and you move on and you take the step. And there are, there are different stories and parables about that, where the blind step forward that you take into the unknown with the faith of God with you. And many people reference this because it is a thing and a concept that many, many, if not everyone has taken or will almost certainly take some point in their life is that terrifying step into the darkness, which certainly no one wants to do. And what other way do you have to comfort yourself as you go through this rather than being lost in your own mind about taking that terrifying step than accepting the, the belief or the faith that people encourage around you that there is a light or a weight that can be relieved or a hand that can mentally guide you through this, this unknown it, it sounds much better and it probably feels much better to accept these into the struggles of life and that regardless of your actions and your struggles and your pitfalls, there is a love unconditional, although sometimes conditional, but unconditional love that will still accept you. And I think that has become one of the more prevalent parts in today's society as people start to intermingle less in their acceptance. And I think this is generally recognized as a modern psychology perspective that people really struggle with self-love and perspectives of how they are looked at by other people and this judgment that they see. But what is the, the core fundamental? God loves you and does not judge you. And I think that acceptance in, in inheritance from the culture and generations before you allows people to still remain sane potentially through some of these, these hardships of life. And I think that combats 
a scientific understanding of evolution at its finest level, because evolution is a conditional process. It is not unconditional. It's not everyone who gets to win. It's only a select few. And it's not going to be God's decision, right? It's going to be some hierarchy of randomness, sometimes usually sexual sexual selection, where women are actually some of the biggest candidates for actually controlling our evolution as a species, because they get to choose what males are going to, you know, uh, get offspring and so forth. Right. And, and, and so it's like, okay, well we have, we have these, these systems in place where there's clearly elements of control. Right. And if we keep asking why it's like, okay, well, why did the, why did the woman choose that male over that one? It's like, well, okay, well, let's look at it. Right. Like, so this person had this type of character traits, blah, 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 blah. You can get into it. You can, you can go into the how, right. But again, you're not asking why then anymore. You're asking how, and you're asking what, and to really engage the why, to engage the why is to make a deal with the demons of doubt, right? And the doubt here is something that is telling you humans haven't gotten this right. There is something more here and there is something that is yet to be explained, right? This is the why. And it's, it seems quite basic to explain it in this way, but when you're asking why, are you actually asking why? Are you going down the rabbit hole and really looking for the fundamental understanding? Or are you just looking for kind of a cop-out? Because you know it's tough. You're just looking for any old answer because you know that the true answer is going to be so, so far beyond your own ability to conceive. And I think what may pair along with that well is there are endless whys you can ask, which the more wise you have, the more questions you ask, the more questions you ask, the more disorder and chaos you find yourself in. And I think going back to the evolution, evolutionary context that you referred to, when you look at books by Christopher, Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, you know, two, two familiar authors who wrote, um, the selfish gene and God is not great. They really referenced and went through the aspects of development that, either played a role from religion in, in recent history or through the hundreds of thousands of years that went through the different types of selection to bring us to where we are. And there's many, many layers of religion that you can break down of, of when it actually started to impact the development of creatures and of humans and of our, our greater consciousness to interpret things. And I think when you go through these contexts of, of answering why is it still relevant, it brings you back to this differentiation between human beings want to go to a more ordered state. We want to be away from chaos. Chaos is generally bad. Chaos in your life is difficult. Disorder is difficult. And through the contexts and presuppositions of teachings and religion, you can embrace the ones that you you like or that you relate to that that speak to how you're struggling and take these lessons and say you know maybe someone somewhere hundreds if not thousands of years ago struggled with something similar to this it's been thousands of years and this story still has some relevance to my life and i will move away from chaos into a better state and i think that's that's why people still find it relevant because they still feel spoken to mm -hmm. with their their problems and the uncertainty that they may have. And I think that's the differentiation between religion versus God. 
And is it the religion that they are attached to that comes with the God? Is it a circular kind of like rainbow arc where you start with yourself and you go through this rainbow of religion and then the gold pod at the very end is the God? But was the rainbow, like this is kind of a weird analogy, but is the religion what people associate with or is it the God that people associate with? Mm. Or are they a package deal? Mm. I don't think they're a package deal. It could just be the pursuit. It could just be riding the rainbow, right? <laughs> right. In, in, in a simple, simple sense, it could just be that there is a desire for order because we are constantly gravitating towards chaos. Or, I mean, this is the same kind of question as asking, why do we die? Because we are constantly degrading. We are constantly putting ourselves in a state of toxicity because there are elements of erosion, but biochemical erosion, degradation of our own internal body system through the foods we eat and whatever we consume. And so, yes, we do exist in chaos. And I, I think that we should strive for order, but we should not delude ourselves to think that there is a state of being that is only order there will always be chaos. Always. That's and, a guarantee. And the promise of using religion here is to somewhat, in my eyes, affirm that we can coexist in chaos and strive for order as a species. And I would say that's not always true. No, no, not at all. And it makes me wonder if we've reached this distance from, from an optimal point where human beings through their development earlier in the days really truly struggled with disorder, disorder and chaos and, and feud and battle. There was no structure and maybe they utilized the developments of religion as a, as a framework to create communities and order. Have we surpassed the benefit of this now? And we are devolving back to a state where religion is actually taking us backwards and into greater disorder now, because I, I guess, I don't really see in the world now where religion is the glue keeping things together. It seems to be a point of contention almost everywhere in many different ways, maybe on a large scale. So macroscopic scale, religion could be, could be detrimental to some areas, but on an individual perspective, still very useful. It is useful, but it also has a half-life in my opinion. It has a usefulness and, and some people are going to get on us for being utilitarian about this, right? We're saying, well, what is the utility of God, right? And people are going to be like, you're missing the point if you're asking the how, right? It is to just blindly accept that is the point of God. And then you're like, okay, well, then what's the point of, of being alive in the first place? Because if there is this promise of God, well, then that means there is also some thing that happens when you're not alive that could be absolutely divine and so forth. And so I think the fundamental question you have to ask yourself here is, do I have a purpose while I am existing on this plane? And, you know, this is, this is the, the differences between lots of religions. Some religions say, okay, what you do on this earth should just be devolved around kindness and so forth. Some religions say, well, actually, it's really, really important what you do on, on this, this plane of existence because it's a selection process to get into the, the upper arcs of, of the afterlife. And, you know, there's different layers of hierarchy selection. And in that process, there's a selection though. And it's like, okay, well, if God is there, right, why is it that there is a selection process in the first place 
you have been selected to come and be alive. And there's also a selection after you're coming alive. Paradoxical, right? It's somewhat paradoxical where you have been brought into this world by the God and you must follow these rules, even though God has a plan for you. And if you don't follow the rules, albeit God has a plan for you, then you are punished and not rewarded with the greatness of God post period of you getting to choose your actions. It is somewhat paradoxical. And I think it's not questioned very much because it is, is is a a rabbit hole of endless whys. Where are you looking to go with this point? What is your goal with going down this rabbit hole of asking, why is this paradoxical creation of yourself in the world moving into God? And I think getting back into more of a, a real reality aspect of this religion is why it's useful is because you can still live a life in the directions that good religious texts teach you that can bring you satisfying things. And I think building off this point, what is the point of being alive if you have no fully personal decisions to make for yourself? Well, you do. You do have decisions to make for yourself. And when people say God has a plan for me, I think that is an answer to discomfort in uncertainty, which is uncomfortable to be in. It sucks to be in an uncomfortable position where you don't know what the next step is. And it is comforting to accept this idea that there is a plan, that it is not truly uncertain. But I think living a life that follows some of the original scriptures and texts that could lead you to helping your community, making other people suffering less. And this has been spoken on very, very broadly, but helping to alleviate the general suffering of the world is essentially the core with what selection process is where I would argue, right? Or at least start a conversation because there's a lot of things to, to that are in states of suffering. Again, we mentioned we are in this state of constantly degradation. And so with that in mind, there is a constant level of suffering that is applied to every entity in itself. There is a constant state of I'm going to personify here, but dissatisfaction of a chemical or whether it's a human or a species or whatever it is, right? There is a constant state of, I need something else, right? I need food. I need water. I need shelter, right? For humans or for, for a molecule, it's, Hey, I need some electrons. Give me something, right? And it's, it's this constant motivation drive that is keeping us alive, right? And the, the argument here is, is that Without an understanding of this just basic primal motivation system and then putting God on top of that, is that that utility? Is that helpful, right? Is, and that's a tough question. Exactly. And I think you touched on it pretty, pretty specifically is how do you quantify the alleviation of suffering? How much suffering are you able to take out of someone's life? And what is the quantitative measure of that suffering? Have you helped them you know, with their day-to-day life, with their home life, truly taking someone out of a, a truly miserable state. You know, there's there's a whole spectrum of, of how difficult life can be and the true hardships and horror that human beings are capable of imposing on one another. And I think that is where this silver lining kind of comes in that I see where evil does exist and we've accepted that evil exists. And I think these are the delineations we make where we want to accept that love 
is intrinsic between people and we can relate over this bond that we have about a shared religion, but that's not entirely true. And I think people want it to be true. And that's the approach we take while spreading this message that we want to be the true ideal state, but evil undoubtedly exists and evil and suffering has been imposed in mass across decades for thousands of years. And on different levels, people can bring upon them the responsibility to alleviate suffering however they can. That's your purpose. And I think that purpose can be fulfilling because I think a lot of people struggle for purpose and what they do with their life and their careers and their time. And this is a whole other conversation, but using a theological or theology to to line your railroad, to create this path and say, I don't know what would be most meaningful to me, but I know that suffering is bad and the lack of suffering is good. And I have the, the capabilities and the freedom and the resources to organize something with a purpose to take the suffering out of someone else's life. And that will be rewarding to me. Right. There is reward. So I guess... We can kind of wrap up here and there is one mandate really that I wanted to end this with that the promise to end suffering for an individual can also be self-imposed as in my suffering could be that I'm not helping people alleviate suffering. It's kind right? of existential. Right. And, and so in that process, you are then imposing your own desire to alleviate suffering on an individual when in reality, there was never suffering in the individual in the way that you wanted to help them. And I think this is where it comes to be a bunch of hypocrisy in that are you actually helping someone or is it your own selfish greed to help because it gives you a sense of fulfillment relative to the divine worship of your God. Your God says this, but again, there is a belief system inside you that is telling you to do this and imposing your desires of enacting your belief system on another individual. And so at some level, I would say, mm. this the suffering should come from within that you're trying to cure. Don't necessarily worry about other people's suffering because you don't know the nature of their suffering. You never will. And the suffering then of yourself and not being able to recognize that is something that you have to remedy on your own individual level. Sure. Yeah. I think that, that kind of makes me wonder, is there like a selfishness to being an upstanding person, not even an upstanding person, but being heroic. Is there a selfish aspect to her heroism? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's selfish. It is, it is, I mean, and it's okay to be selfish. I, I feel like, you know, this is the whole, the whole thing with religion. A lot, a lot of religions have this dichotomy between altruism and selfishness. And what, what, what is altruism? Does it actually work? Because we are a human species and we have a finite amount of time to live on this planet. Does altruism work, right? If I'm constantly helping people, right? Just think about it like this, right? If everyone is consuming the resources that are, that are supposed to help them, well, then who is producing the initial resources to which that altruism can even be shared, right? 
if there's a resource that is being shared, right, you would say that's altruistic to just give the resource, right? But at some level, someone has to be creating the resource to act selfishly to then exercise altruism at any level. And so it's like to not acknowledge that selfishness is a core component of the human condition is then to disregard your own system for which your belief system's premises stand. That's a fantastic point. And I think we can, we can wrap up on that because that's one thing that we can leave you all with and that I've referenced in the past that altruism is more a form of evolutionary benefit than it is for mm -hmm. self-preservation or, or self-fulfillment. It's intrinsically, if you go down the Y train of altruism, you will likely end up at evolutionary advantages. But wrapping up on the ideas of religion and how it fundamentally and communicate communication exists through generations and through our lives, we can leave you all with, with these questions. Ask yourself, what is the nature of God? Go down the rabbit hole and we'll see you next week. If you made it this far into the podcast and want to hear more content, please consider following us on Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube and sharing today's podcast link with your close friends. We hope this podcast incites you to start some interesting conversations and expand on some of the ideas we've discussed. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Certain Uncertainty Podcast, a podcast aimed at unveiling the certainly uncertain relationships between some of the most complex systems known to man.